Howdy, howdy, folks. Welcome to yet another episode of Decoded by Threado podcast. I'm your host, Sharath. Today, I have a Superman coming, joining the show. Uh, you know, the alter ego of Superman, I would say. It's not Clark Kent. It's Kinsey Clark. <laughs> Love it. Great intro. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to the show, Kinsey. How are you? How hey, are you feeling? Doing well, Sharath. Thank you. Doing well. Absolutely, yeah. It's great to see love, you in week, too. Great to meet you in person. Great to meet you in person. Yeah, fun fact. Uh, this is, I think, the first time ever in the history of this podcast I met someone before recording. So, awesome. you know, it gives me, uh, <laughs> you know, a chance to mingle, like, you know, understand the guests and whatnot. Kinsey, you've been killing it uh, lately, of course, on LinkedIn. And I loved your talk uh, when we... when we Thank you. Know, you. When we were at SF in the SD event. Uh, but I have so many questions as usual. <laughs> That's why you're here. Uh, yes. Right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. And for folks who doesn't know Kinsey, Kinsey is the founder of One Study. You know, he previously was the director of support at Bolt. He's basically like done many things. He's a veteran. As you can see, he's actually a veteran. He worked in US Army for almost like what, 20 plus years. Yeah. Uh, you know, Shout out to you for that. Thank you for the service. And you. you know, his his you know building his is one of those people who are very verbal and vocal about support, how to enhance the processes plus the leadership and whatnot. Uh, today I'm excited to talk about. I will definitely cover the talk you did at the ST event for sure, but <laughs> I am excited to talk about uh, uh, something that's been you know, often not talked about in support space, like how did, how one should get into support and why one should get into support. <laughs> and with you being starting from like level zero and where you are right now, you've, you've done uh, ground support to like basically like leadership strategy, you know, implementing a lot of things execution wise. So you're the perfect person to like cover the life cycle of you know, someone who wants to get into support and grow into growing their career and eventually into leadership. So, uh, right off the bat, I feel like one of the one of the one of the things I I want to ask is that support is pretty much everywhere, right? As you know, everybody needs support. It's one of those pillars you can't ignore. Yep. And you have a ton of experience in tech startups. Uh, as well as like, you know, uh, in established companies. So in your opinion, if someone, you know, came to you for advice and asked about, hey, where should I start? Like, what should I, which, which path should I pick? Do I have to go after startups so that I can, you know, switch multiple hats or do you have to uh, play safe, work in an established company where the processes are all set? It's already there, and I it, it it it's a great fit for me, so that I can focus on the work. So I want to hear your take. Yeah, I, I like the framing, Sharat, because I really think, and so I'm going to limit this to software because that's my experience, and I think software support is fundamentally different than hardware support or mm -hmm. um, other types of support. So you know, with that that being said, I think you framed it well with really two paths. There's kind of early mid stage startup. Uh, or like more established companies. Um, I think, again, we're gonna leave out consumer and all that other stuff, big ass call centers and things like that, that typically doesn't apply until you get to like really large scale. Um, so 
you know, I started out and most of my career has been in startup support, but I do have some touch points into more established, larger company, Mm -hmm. much more structured support. I I think, you know, where you start often isn't your choice. (laughs) Like a lot of times it's just like who hires you first, you know, I think if you are looking at a tech startup, you're 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 probably going to have to demonstrate some more technical skills up front because it's tip well well it's typically not seen as an entry level position the same way that it's seen in a more established company because startups are are moving fast and often the support person is the engineer who like drew the short straw and right. now that person's burned out. He's tired. They, they, they need someone. And usually often that's an internal hire. Like it's just mm-hmm. someone who happens to be, he's the IT guy or they, they put out a call. But a lot of times that, that initial first, second, third support people at a, at a, at a startup are not mm-hmm. like job postings that you're going to go like, Oh, look, there's an entry level support job at, you know, you know, struggling startup X. Uh, where there are going to be a lot more entry level startups at, at more larger, you know, more established firms, and, and they're going to have that. So I think if mm. if you have some technical experience, if you have a background in development, um, or you have a background in tech writing or something like that, or, or you're just looking for something different, or, or your foot in the door to startup, but you have some technical chops, yeah, probably mm. startups good way to go. Um, mm. But if you don't come with too much experience, then you're probably going to have to look at more established. Uh, companies. Mm-hmm. But again, I mean, <laughs> the rules are meant to be broken. Um, of yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, a lot, of, it's a lot of like hiring at this level, especially at startups relationship based, you know, somebody knows somebody who's smart kid out of college, you, you're going to love this guy. So yeah. Right. Yeah. I love that. And when it comes to established companies, you know, what would you say, why should people prefer that or, you know, any startup? Well, I, I think it's the balance of like any time you go to an established company, you're going to get more structured experience. Um, you're going to get an understanding of potentially what I, I was about to say what right looks like, but sometimes that may not be the thing what that you're looking at. But you'll get an idea of what kind of like conventional wisdom looks like in a startup. Um, and you'll have the benefit of seeing you know, kind of going through probably some training and some mm. proper, some onboarding and, and seeing a management structure and seeing what supervisors and leads and managers and directors and how they all kind of work together and probably more structured relationships with other teams. Although you right. probably as an entry level person aren't going to participate in those relationships, sure. you may see a little bit more structure around how they, how, how support works with other teams. You know, so you're going to see kind of what, again, what conventionally wise software support should or could look like. If you're at a startup, like it's, it's, it's a little frustrating, but it just, it feels like the wheel gets reinvented every single time. And so a lot of times people that have never done support are inventing the wheel, which is terrible because you end up with like triangle shaped wheels or square shaped wheels um, that, that don't really work. (laughs) So you know, I think that's an advantage of going, of starting out entry level. And I think this applies to pretty much any industry where you get a base of experience and then you can take that and you're a much more credible candidate as startup. Absolutely. I would say a small regret I've had in my career is maybe staying in startups too long, to, it's earlier part of my career and mm-hmm. maybe having, maybe I could have spent some time at some larger, more structured places and then come back into the startup world. Um I generally see it's easier 
for people to go from structure to startup than the other way around. Right. Right. So if you're, if you kind of start in the startup world and you stay there, you're probably going to be a startup person, which isn't a bad thing. Like I've had a good career and I've enjoyed my time, but it doesn't really set you up to be like, you can be director of support at a 50, 60, hundred person startup. You're not a credible candidate for a director of support at a, Mm -hmm. like a, like a large established company. I mean, you just, you haven't seen the things and you don't have the experience of managing at that scale. So, right. you know, if you're looking to, if you, if you think like you're going to, you know, Hey, I'm going to swing for the fences and I'm going to retire and I'm 30. Okay. You know, that's, that's probably not a, a likely outcome, but, um, but you are locking yourself in. And I, and I just feel like if you go to more structured places, you create more options for yourself down the road. Yeah. I love that. Uh, absolutely true. I think, you know, like you said, even in the beginning, it's a very individual choice. So first of all, let's, let's put that yeah. disclaimer out. You know, it's, it's kind of what exactly. you want. And, but I think I, I echo what you said uh, in terms of joining a startup, you know, a little bit more than joining an established company. In, if you ask me, I would do join a startup and then do an established company because uh, when you join a startup, you're basically literally thrown you know into the fire like right from day zero oh yeah like you just you are there you should figure out and i think that skill is really important so you will build that self-learning you know you seeking being very proactive and you do things like you know on your own you have your own rules and whatnot and then probably like you should taste the other side which is well more grounded like you know you you there you you are you're a you're a piece in the puzzle you're not the puzzle yeah. yourself, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, the only thing I would challenge there, Sharad, is that like larger organizations take discipline and in the military, we have this concept, this tension versus discipline and initiative, right? And so startups clearly crave and desire initiative and, in, but it's, initiative isn't always good. Like we, we always think of initiative as like this, like just a good thing, but initiative can really take you down some dark roads, especially as an employee. If you start doing things and they're not coordinated or synchronized, like you can create some issues. And I think one of the challenges of going from a startup to a more larger organization is the presence of discipline. And you just have to be aware of that. So like, I don't disagree. I I think to your point, it's individual, but I will say it can be a shock going to, a place that has a lot of rules and structure and you're used to operating without those structures. And you're just like, Oh, I just get things done. If that's your, if getting things done is your superpower, it's not going to be well utilized in a larger organization, you know, right. cause again, like they want you to execute, not necessarily create. Um, right. And so I, I just think that's something to consider. You know, I, I think you just have to really do a good self evaluation of yourself. And I think a lot of people really like, being able to take initiative and, and do kind of what they feel needs to get done. Absolutely. That's really hard in a large organization. Yeah. I mean, I served in the army for, you know, 28 years. So I'm very familiar with kind of an organization that claims to want initiative, but really prizes discipline, struggles with initiative at time. Um, mm. And and really seeing the balance because there is a lot of initiative in the military as well. And so mm. we, we struggle with these same things. Yeah, 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 totally. A hundred percent. I think uh, the self-initiative part is really well. And I think in a way, and you correct me if I'm not wrong uh, or correct me if I am wrong. 
in a way if a startup is hiring a support team or a support leader in a way it's established in a way in a way in a way right like because they have funding yes. they have because they usually support is some something that comes in picture when you want to rapidly grow scale and build that customer loyalty right it's not definitely in the early days as a priority generally founders no. themselves does yeah. support yeah they do right? support exactly so yeah i think you know in a way you're kind of have an ecosystem like an established company but to your point it's not that established yeah right? but but the big difference is like you may be doing tickets and you may be doing some processes that look like a big company but the big difference between a big company and a startup is startups are typically figuring out the team relationships and if you look at like 20 startups and you look at like how support relates to product and engineering you'll probably see like 20 different patterns um versus larger companies tend to have more structure there and that's where all the tension comes i mean typically right. support's stressful like you're dealing with tickets and customers okay. but like that's that's often the least of your problems i mean most people their their issues are and what we always talk about at these conferences is our relationships with other teams not yes. like <laughs> you know <laughs> not the chaos of customers like um it's the chaos of the organization that that's really different right. Yeah, I love that. Uh when I met you, you know, when we were talking about careers in support, you you candidly said uh not a lot of people start their careers saying that hey, I want to be a support person. Right? Uh Yeah, absolutely. Talk to me about it. Like why do you think that what is like the uh I wouldn't say stamp on support, but just that why do people kind of not choose support as a as a default career in your opinion you know yeah i i think there's a few reasons i i will i will add one caveat to that statement i think people do seek customer service careers in more established hmm. domains and and you and i think they're you know like people are definitely people enjoy customer service and i think there's i think there's a path there and i think some people really really gravitate to that but again my experiences in startups are that's startup support people are rarely like oh yeah i really want to do support like as from the beginning and i think a lot of it is just lack of awareness i mean success people have the same problem we're starting to see this problem with accountants and other groups that just for aren't when people think of companies and you're like if you just ask like some you know group of people like who's at a company you'll probably hear like engineers like a lot of people don't even know product people exist you know so there there's this problem of just like people think companies are populated by like CEOs and engineers and other people and supports in this like other people group so i just think like there's just a overall lack of awareness at definitely at like junior level people like if you talk to college graduates like they have no idea what companies look like and colleges do a terrible job of explaining what companies look like um you know they they use models that are like industrial age like 1900s like you know you have to, you've got your assembly lines and like you know finance team and you know and then your ceo overlord but like modern companies have all these disciplines that really aren't i just think there's a just a general lack of awareness of how like modern organizations are are structured um and let's face it like how many like support people make the news or you know you hear about engineers you hear about engineer salaries um you hear about web developers you hear about marketing i mean everyone knows what marketing or they think they know what marketing is but i just think like people just aren't aware of 
yeah. of support in general. And so it just, it, it's just not something people like get out of bed and say, Oh yeah, that looks like an interesting career. I think success really suffers from this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, probably professional services. I mean, that's another like, you know, place where mm-hmm. just people end up a lot of times, like no one, Thanks. Unless they go to like a professional services company, you know, they graduated from college and they go to like a, a consulting firm or something like that. But, but no one thinks like, Oh, I'm going to be a professional services guy at a software startup. I mean, said nobody ever. Um, but I mean, there's lots of those roles out there, just like support, just like success. Um, pre-sales. I mean, that's another role. Like no one would ever like, Oh yeah, I want to be a pre-sales guy to, at a software company. Like, Right. What is a pre-sales guy? Most people don't have any idea what that is, but that's a huge, right. like, there's a lot of pre-sales people out there. Mm, interesting. And uh, so I think there's a brand, I mean, it's not even a branding. I just think like there's a, just an understanding education issue right. of just, Hey, what's out there, you know? I think and what you that's said not unusual. True. Yeah. I think the lack of awareness, lack of, lack of education, lack of clarity, like, you know, this is your role. This is why people should join for X, Y, Z reasons. Yeah. And this is like the, uh, uh, the things that you develop as a as an individual over time these are the skills like you know yeah. i feel that sh- yeah, that exactly. sh- that should be amplified more so that we you know we companies can attract more you know people into support uh and, and get the right people from the get go you know i mean i think that's a great point i mean i remember like oh, many many years ago me and a buddy went down to claremont mckenna which is my alma mater it's a college in southern california that i went to um, and you know, we were looking for support people cause it was in the early two thousands and we were struggling to find anyone with a pulse to work. And, right. um, it was, it was interesting talking to a fairly large group of pretty, um, elite college, uh, students and none of them had any idea what support did. And mm. it was also interesting, our difficulty in explaining what support did. That was also a challenge, but that's a story for another time. But yeah, yeah, point yeah. being, like, they, they just weren't aware. They just had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one more one more question to piggyback on, uh, on starting the career uh, angle. What are some things that, you know, skills-wise uh, support, you know, either agents or in your opinion, like the, the, any, the first early state, you know, early jobs that people focus on in, in startups, again, uh, the skills that they should develop that, that makes them stand out. Like in your opinion, you have, you've saw a ton of people, or you, you hired so many people, uh, what stood to you that, okay, you know what, these are X, Y, Z skills people should really focus yeah. on when they, you know, start their career in support. I'm going to answer that two ways. So, the the first way I'm going to answer it is there there's kind of a dichotomy in support between technical support and what I will say less technical support. Um, I'm not a I'm not a fan of uh, those words, but I, I I think that's what I'm going to use. So if you're a technical support person, you, you know you're supporting developers, you're supporting integration sure. engineers, you're supporting technical people. I think the core skill there is that you yourself have to be technical. Um, mm. It's really hard to confidently support a developer on some sort of, you know, platform without some sort of understanding of technical skills, like basic programming understanding. So do you see yourself as a technical person? You're not. So when I, whenever I'm hiring for technical support positions, the very first question, maybe not the first one, but a question that gets in the first interview is, Mm. how would you describe yourself? Do you see as a technical person or not? And if the person says no, 
they're they're going to quickly fall to the bottom of the list because you have to right. self-identify as being technical. I mean, right. I just, so I think, but but that's only for technical products. Now, there's a lot of products, and and overwhelming the the theme of software evolution is for it not to be technical. I mean, you know, databases used to be hideously technical products. Now with, you know, modern interfaces and things like that, like it, you don't have to be as technical. You don't have to have a deep understanding of all these things because a lot of it's been abstracted away. So then the premium to me, what I'm always looking for is kind of some attitudinal things. So that's kind of the second stage is like, what does this person bring? from an attitudinal perspective, like, are they humble? Do they ask questions? Do they listen? Um, do the words that come out of their mouth after I've told them something, do they have anything to do with what I've said? Um, a surprising number of people, you know, you'll give them pretty clear instructions in an interview and they'll just kind of go off and just do what they want. And, you know, that doesn't really work and doesn't really work for any kind of job, but it certainly doesn't work in support. So I'm looking for people who can demonstrate listening, and I'm really looking for people who have self-awareness. Now that's, that's Kinsey Clark yeah. kind of recipe, but I think <laughs> self-awareness and understanding your limitations and being able to communicate what those are is really, really important because it's mm -hmm. very, very unlikely that you're going to have all the answers when you're talking to a customer. And if you can't recognize that you're in trouble with a customer and this customer's not satisfied or w may not be satisfied with the end provided to them, it's just, it's really hard to make that relationship work. So I'm really big on, are you technical and are you mm. self-aware, you know? Mm. And then obviously the ability to communicate, things like that are important, but the key things for me are, are you technical and are you mm. self-aware of some of your own limitations right. and challenges? And it's surprising how many people will are unable, unable is the wrong word, unwilling to answer something like, Hey, what don't you like about work? And hmm. I mean, there's, I, there's a bunch of things I don't like about work and I'm totally open to tell people what they are, even if I'm in an interview situation, cause I'm totally aware of these things, but like people will like do these crazy contortions, not to tell me that they don't like hmm. long meetings or they don't like X or they don't yeah. like Y just cause you don't like something doesn't mean you're not going to do it. Right. And right. I think that's what people, what they're hearing me say is, are you willing to do this? That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking like, what don't you like? And really that the purpose of that question is just to find out, can this person be honest with me? Can they, yeah. can they, can they tell me something that will make them a little uncomfortable? Right. If they can't do that, of, like it, it's just right. hard. <laughs> right. And a lot of people sugarcoat, right? Like they just, Oh yeah. They just yeah. Give, give like these, you know, fake answers or being yeah, totally. Yes, exactly. And I'll dig into those. I'll dig into those really quick, you know, and, and, right, right. and again, if I, if I see a pattern of like getting two or three of these, like, well, you know, my, what I don't like about work is when people hit me on the head, it's like, okay, well, no one likes to be hit on the head, period. <laughs> like, that's not an answer. Like, you got to give me something <laughs> like, I don't like repetitive work, or right. I don't like dealing with angry customers. Give me something that's real. Like, don't tell me, I don't like when someone punches me in the face. Like, okay, well, there's not a lot of people that like that. So that answer doesn't count. And even when I coach people in an interview not to give me that answer, they still will. And then I'm, then that person not only is like lack of self-awareness, but they also can't listen and follow directions. So right. two strikes, you're out generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I tell people I'm doing this. That's the funny thing is I'll tell people at the very beginning of the interview, I'm going to do these things to you. I'm going to ask you these questions. 
I'm, I strongly encourage you to be as honest as possible. I'm going to, and I'll give them an example. I'll tell them something that I don't like at work. I'll totally tee this up for them. And I'd say, you know, six out of 10 people just, they, they, mm. they, they just, they want to give you the, like you said, they want to give you that sugar coated answer, you know? Yeah. They, you know, it's hard to break the barrier as well. Right? It, it so, is. It is. Right. Uh, so let's, let's kind of like move to the next, next phase, which is, you know, let's say someone made their, made their mind up. They want to get into startups. Uh, talk to me about how they pick and choose, right? Like how they want to enter into that growth, you know, phase, like what are some things that accelerate their career, which startups are really going to help them navigate, you know, that growth path. I mean, <laughs> the best advice I can give here, but it's the most least actionable advice. It's the least actionable advice is like find a successful startup or a startup that's going to be successful. I mean, those are always the most fun and, and best sure. to work at because you typically don't deal with the dysfunctions that you're going to encounter are, are much more easily ignored when things are going really well. <laughs> when things are going badly at a startup, that's when things get really, really bad. Um, but I think. I am looking for a place that I, I think one of the questions I, I'm always asking is like, what, what is the relationship between support and the rest of the organization? Mm. As a manager, as a leader, I'm looking for organizations that are struggling because I can come in and help repair that damage. As an IC, I probably would advise someone to stay away unless they've recently hired someone to fix that because it can be like eating glass to be an individual mm. contributor at a company where the support team is not respected, not supported, you know, it, it takes the blame for everything. Um, that That's just terrible. So I, you know, I'm really looking, I think that's a tough question. I'm always going to want to ask a leader as an IC is like, Hey, you know, give me an honest assessment of what our relationship is with engineering product. Mm. Um, and, you know, whoever the post-sales customer-facing account management team is, if it's success or um, – and then the leader probably is going to sugarcoat that a little bit if he wants to hire you. Um, so then you got you got to talk to ICs and really dig under the covers there. But to me, that's what I'm looking for is, like, what's that relationship um, with, with other teams? Because that ultimately, I, I think, really determines – your overall job satisfaction and ability to be successful at a company is if, if there's some, and again, it's never going to be perfect. If you're looking for a place where it's, it's firing on all eight cylinders, you, you're never going to find that place, but you just want to make sure you're avoiding like major dysfunction because right. that can just eat your soul and teach you some really bad habits and just make you like super disgruntled and not really happy, which isn't yeah. good. Yeah, I think the collaborative piece is really important. Uh, you know, as as someone you want to grow, you basically have, you cannot grow by yourself. You need other people to grow in your own yeah. life and vice versa. Like you need to help others to grow as well. So I think that is a great, great check right there. Uh, one of the things when, when you enter into startups and everybody preaches this, it's about this philosophy of get things done, Right. You have to be on top of everything. You have to make yeah. things right. You have to be like, you know, uh, proactive and whatnot, especially in support. It's, 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 it's right there on, on your face. So talk to me about when, when someone wants to grow in their career, you know, especially in the support, how do one develop 
that scale or remind themselves that I have to get things done? What, what are some frameworks that you can share with us that keep people in their mindset of, you know, in this get things done mindset? I mean, that's a, I mean, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think that's a really good question. I, I mean, part of, so startups can be a little bit like cults. I mean, and to some degree they kind of have to be because, because they are doing something that's fundamentally really hard. Like you're, you're, you're taking an under-resourced organization and you're, you're going either entering a new market that doesn't exist or you're competing with well-resourced competitors. Right. So, right. and so like, that's just hard. So you're already like under the gun. So you have, so you have to get things done. I think a way you kind of keep that fire going is by just reminding yourself that everything that we live in a world of trade-offs and limited resources. And I think a lot of support people, a lot of people in general mm -hmm. lack kind of that, that awareness and understanding that like not everyone can do everything all the time. And I think, you know, I'm going to pick on support people because that's who we're talking about, but everyone's guilty of this just to be clear. Um, <laughs> I'll pick on anybody. Like I'll, I'll pick on engineers if this was an engineering podcast because they have reality distortion fields as well. Um, but I think like, who doesn't like, it's really easy to get, startups, right? yeah, doesn't it's really easy to get like frustrated as a support person. Cause you see customers and bugs aren't getting fixed. And I think what you have to do is you really got to go back and really understand like what's going on in the organization that's preventing this. And, and more often than not, it's just a lack of bandwidth and, mm -hmm. and maybe product direction. Um, but often it's a lack of bandwidth. There's, there's other things and, and leaders are going to make bad decisions. It's easy to look at decisions hmm. even next week and say that was a bad decision or that was a great decision, but it's hard at the time. And so just having some patience and really, really focusing on fixing what you can fix, right? Like, and, and doing what you can do. And I think the best advice I would give someone in this case is don't take accountability for things you're not responsible for. And what I do is I see people go out of their head trying to take responsibility for trying to be accountable for like the product. Like if you're in support, the product not working is not necessarily your fault. It's probably not your fault. It's definitely not something you're accountable for. You have to do everything you can to get that customer successful and helped and all those things. But fundamentally, man, if the product team doesn't deliver something that's not working, like don't, don't go out of your head on that. And I think a lot of energy get spent venting and complaining and hey guilty as charged um but i think at some point you got to recognize like have have i complained so this is my advice if you've complained about something loudly more than three times you either have to ask yourself am i going to do something to fix it mm. or maybe i should just shut up <laughs> because in in like because otherwise you're just wasting time. And I think that's yeah. what gets in front of getting things done at a startup. A lot of times is right. um, you, you, you're just so angry and you're so frustrated. Like, why won't they fix this bug? And then you complain to your, your whole team about it. You complain to your manager about it. And then they complain to you about it. And next thing you know, you spent like literally hours on something that isn't going to do anything for anybody. I'm a fan of venting as much as the next person. Anyone who's worked for me knows this. Anyone who I've worked for knows this. All my peers know I love complaining. But I do have a rule where if I catch myself complaining about it in an angry, emotional fashion after three times, I'm done. Like I got to stop and accept it or I have to go on the attack and try to change it.
But right. I, I, you just can't get mad all the time. Right. <laughs> and that's really, in my opinion, what gets in front of getting things done because a lot of time gets spent with people just being mad and angry and frustrated. Sure. Yeah. I think uh, every company who has support should have like a venting chamber, you know, in, in physical, <laughs> in physical offices, as well as there should be a venting, you know, chamber channel in, in if you're in distributed team, it's really important, yeah. right? Like you deal with these different set of people on a regular basis and you, it, you pent up this, you know, uh, not venting energy over the time. And, you know, it's not good for you to like, you know, mentally, physically, like, you know, it's not good. So no, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you just have to decide to accept it, you know, and, and accept the problems. I mean, and, and, and again, like I would argue in my experience anyway, and what I would argue is most people's experiences, and this is across organizations, this is across industries, is that most of the frustration comes from the internal organization. It doesn't come from customers. Like we always complain or I, I hear things like customers, like, like there's a few customers who are hard and customers will throw curveballs at you. But fundamentally, if your product works well, like you generally right. don't have too many like angry customers. There are exceptions to those rules. And I'll, an example I'll give is we had a, I, I'm just going to say it, a terrible customer. Um, and we, she just, she treated us poorly. She called us names. She would occasionally uh, use very unprofessional language to describe people and how they react and stuff. And just, just completely. And, and some, and so we, we would bring this to leadership and we, we kind of wanted to fire her as a customer. Like, say, she's not really helping move this needle. It's not a huge, we're not making a ton of money there. And there's some hemming and hawing. And I understood like whatever, but at some point I was like, we got to stop complaining about this. Like, or if we're going to do to your point, let's just go, <laughs> let's bracket it. We're going to, for like 15 minutes and we're going to move on because we're not going to change the situation. We're going to keep this person as a customer. Should we have kept the person as a customer? That, that, that doesn't matter. We did. So we have to accept that and just kind of move through it and, and do what we can. So I, again, I, my rule three times and you're done. <laughs> I love that. I love the, the, the three and strike thing. Um, yeah. Three strikes so, and I'm, I'm out. I'm not going to complain anymore. <laughs> right. In this growth mode, uh, you know, there are like, we, we talked a lot about what we should do in at work. Like what are the things that excel people, right? Uh, what advice do you give or what, what are some things that people should do apart from work? Like any, any extra things that they should focus on, like reading books or any building habits or anything that, helps them amplify, you know, their career in, in, in support. Yeah, I, I think, I think those are some good examples, reading books, um, upskilling offside, but the one I think actionable piece, and this comes from my own, I'd say background and failure to have done this and, and some regrets here is network early and often at the communities that are so more easily accessible than they were even 10 years ago. When I started this, the only way I could talk to other support people, there's probably like one or two support conferences, maybe a year. And these were lavish things that were meant for like senior directors and VPs. But today, like we have Slack communities and we have Discord communities and they're, they're free to join. They're cheap to go to their events. I mean, sure. relatively cheap to go to an event. It's, you know, like going to a big support conference in Vegas that was back in the day, 
you know, that was like a three, four, five thousand dollar ask. Whoa. You can get away with like a twelve, fifteen hundred dollar ask to go to like a support driven or um, yeah. some other sort of like smaller, more community based thing. But even if you don't have the funds or the resources, the ability to do that, you can still engage on Slack. So I think my advice yeah. here is get into these communities and network and have these conversations. Um, you know, I just throw myself on people's calendars and just talk a half hour. And, and again, there's no like end game with that conversation. It's just yeah. tell me a little bit about what you're experiencing. I'll tell you a little about what I'm experiencing. I'll complain. You'll complain. We'll celebrate and then we'll get off and you're just connected more. And, and then you right. just, so I think that that would be my advice because when you do need those connections, it's typically when it's too late to build them. In other mm. words, when you're looking for a job. Mm, <laughs> so, that. you know, having connections in this community will really help not just find a job, but find the right job and find and surface opportunities that you never knew existed. So I think that would be the piece of advice I would give the most, which is take advantage of this networking technologies that we have that make it so easy. To, like right now, I mean, there's no way we could have had like a conversation. Atlanta, you know, Northern California. Yeah. This is an example of networking and, and how we're doing exactly. it. And, yeah, that, that's how we met. Yeah. Uh, that's why I think, you know, Exactly. Uh, we should give a shout out and we should give our flowers to uh, Scott and Lizzie for, you know, bringing us together. And, you know, they they, they made this conversation possible. Like I wouldn't even find Kinsey if, 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 <laughs> if it wasn't for them. So uh, big shout out to Support Driven. And there are like, you know, some other communities like Elevate, you know, you basically yep. be part of. That's the proactive thing you should do off, off court, you know, on yes. court what we discussed but off code you should be proactive in you know meeting these interesting people yeah yeah uh, exactly it's definitely support driven elevate i'm in one um called let me just look at my my slack here uh recent one i joined is called the customer success collective um it's very similar to support driven it's very similar i i don't know i'm not in elevate so I, i'm not familiar with that community but again it's just a lot of like-minded people you can you can you can give and take as much as you want yeah, I love that. Uh, let's switch gears and accelerate, you know, to, to yep. the next level, which is jumping into re leadership. So how should one figure out that? Like, it's it's not an easy task. Like you, you especially, you know, when you started from really like level zero, how do you grow and what is the path that you know you would lay down if you were to start like from ground zero? What, what are some share share? Share with me some of the things you did that really worked for you in, in you know, really. Or did it. I'll share a few things that didn't work for me because I think those yeah, are yeah, some of the learning yeah. points. And then, um, yeah, I think what doesn't work is getting in a hurry. Um, I think like a lot of people, I probably thought I was ready to lead before I was. And to be fair, like I had some advantages, like, again, I was commissioned in the United States Army as a second lieutenant. So from literally like mm. the day I graduated from college, I had been trained to lead and manage and do all those things. Um, but even with that advantage, you know, there's still learning and there's still some time it takes to really grow and, and become a leader. So I, I think just just being a little patient and, and that's hard because you see you see leaders who are like mildly incompetent. You feel like you can do better than them. But I will say that a lot of times there's things going on that you don't see. 
as, mm-hmm. as an IC, there's things that they're balancing that you quickly realize, like when you become a leader, you're like, Oh my God, like there's this whole side of the world that i never thought existed. Um, and then the other thing I think is to really think about why you want to be a leader. Like, you know, and I, I won't like, there's books and I mean, we could go on for hours about that, but I will say being a leader is not being a union rep. And I think a lot of people want to be leaders because they're like, I know how to treat people well. If, if that's your motivation for becoming a manager, you're probably going to struggle because mm-hmm. as a manager, you're not paid necessarily to treat people well, treat people well is a technique you use to get production from your team. So, you know, like, because you can get production from people in, in a lot of different ways. Treating them well is generally a better way to do it because you get better results. But there are definitely companies out there where managers aren't like treating their people well, but they're getting results. So the point is, is like, if you want to do it, like I can take care of people better. Check, really check in on that because you're going to be asked to make hard decisions because, mm. you know, like, you know, an extreme decision is a layoff. Like, yeah. hey, Kinsey, you got to lay off half your team. Like there's like half the team's going to have a job and half the team's not. There's no like negotiation there. There's no like, well, I'm going to treat them better and I'm only going to lay off none of them. Like that's not an option that you're given. So I think really making sure you want to lead and you want to drive people to produce Hmm. is a key part. So, so the actual kind of nuts and bolts of getting into it, my very candid advice here is that more often than not, you're going to have to go to a different place to get a promotion. Not always the case, but Mm. in startups, you're probably ready before there's a position available for you because like startups aren't like, they don't have, they don't typically in, in by, in by startups, I'm, I'm going to include like mid, mid and even late stage startups. Like they don't have like a real structured career path. And there's this whole mythology around career paths right now. That's, been a, that's manifested for the last five years, which is ridiculous. Like just throw out anyone, anything said about career paths at a startup. That's ridiculous. Um, because career paths are created when opportunities are created, when growth happens or someone leaves, that's the only time you're going to get like a promotion at a startup is if someone leaves or the company's growing and they create a job, but it just, cause you've been in support for five years, year six rolls around, your manager's still there. The company hasn't grown. Well, you're probably not going to get promoted. You may get a new title. You may get a better salary, mm. but you're not going to become a manager. Um, so I would say if you're really, really wanting to be a manager, you got to look yourself in the eye and say, this is really what I want to do. You got to start looking elsewhere. You know, that that's my candid advice, which is think of startups as a big industry and think of like, I'm going to take a new role in Startup Inc. And I'm going to go over here and become a manager. Um mm. And it's hard because emotionally you've probably created some relationships. You've probably invested into this company that you're part of and it's hard to leave. But I have seen people stay a little too long and they get frustrated and they really, really want to be a manager, but they also really, really want to stay at the company. And it's like, well, those two may not be compatible. So you got to make a choice. Yeah. You have to pick one or the other. And, and, you know, again, like chances are the startup you're working for isn't going to IPO. And you're just, and again, everyone's telling you like, we're going to be amazing and great, but chances are it's not. So it's not a bad risk to leave a startup and to take a a more senior role somewhere else. Like it's absolutely not. 
Um, now that's a little bit of a harder path. And I know a lot of people would say, well, it's easier to get promoted in your own company. That's true, but that only applies if there's opportunities available to you. The other advice I would give is look at other domains. So if you're in support, you've been hustling in support three, four years, two, three years, you're kicking an ass and you really want to be a manager. Hey, what's going on in professional services? Um, what's going on in pre-sales? Pre-sales isn't a great place to become a manager, but my point is, is that there may be other leadership opportunities within your company that are worth looking at where your skills may be somewhat transferable and they may be willing to take a chance on you. And those are really good conversations to have that work out. I, I don't want to say more often than not, but I have seen it work out where right. those roles are created for internal candidates um, or open for internal candidates. And that's why it always helps to keep your ear on the ground and looking at those org changes and like, oh, hey, we're going to create a new professional services department. Well, who's going to run that? Oh, we're, we're, we're hiring right now. We're looking. Oh, well, tell me more about that role. Um, because that may be a great opportunity for you, or it may be a great suggestion for your boss to go yeah. get some growth. And then that opens the door for you. Um, that's yeah. a little more Machiavellian, but <laughs> you know, crazier things have happened. But I think like you just have to think you're probably going to grow outside of your existing team at a startup um, unless there's hype, unless you're going through a growth phase. Um, and typically that's associated with raising money. So these signals are relatively easy to see. Like this isn't some magical black box that you can't look into. If your company just did a fundraise and their founder went out on TV and said, we're going to grow. Hmm, well, this may be a good time to hang out and see what happens. Um if you're, you know, a year away from a fundraise and there's no growth and you really want to be a manager, yeah, it sucks to leave the people you've been working for, but that's where, you know, you got to make some hard decisions. Do I want to grow in my career or do I want to hang out with friends and, and enjoy this place that I'm working at? And I don't say that, like, I'm not sarcastically, like, you know, it's, it's a choice. Yeah, I think being, uh, so just to summarize, detach and put yourself in uncomfortable you know positions so that you can excel it challenges you yeah and i think have an open mind explore you don't have to you know build a leadership career or you don't have to be a leader in support with that skills you you can actually also lead you know other departments i love that uh that's phenomenal advice i think you know three biggest takeaways i would say uh for people who wants to grow in leadership uh, but let's let's completely switch gears. You know, I feel we we saw, you know, we kind you kind of gave gave a masterclass about how to start to grow to you know end up in leadership. Uh, I want to also ask a couple of more questions which are which are not related to career path. I want to ask about you worked as you know in the in the U.S. Army for almost like 25, 28 years, if I'm not wrong. What are some lessons that you've learned uh, that you still hold to you uh, and still practice, implement day-to-day -day in, in mm -hmm. support? You know, what are some things that people can learn from you as a, you know, as, as in your experience from working at U.S. Army? Yeah, the, the one thing I'll say before I answer that question is that working in the United States Army is not dissimilar to working at a startup. Um there are a lot more commonalities than one would expect. The mission's clearly very different and some of the people populating are different and the tools you use. There's a lot of differences, like don't get me wrong, but sure. you are dealing with um, senior leaders who have a, a lot of uh, charisma, a lot of control, a lot of power. Um, 
And you're also dealing with like things that are changing all the time. Like, mm-hmm. like it's just a constant like dynamic um, environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, with that being said, I, I, I think the, something I talked about earlier is this tension between discipline and initiative. I think that is a huge thing that I learned in the military is like, mm-hmm. we often associate discipline with like, you do what you're told, you're not thinking, but discipline, it can start from personal discipline of doing the same thing every day or doing what you're supposed to do every day, following rules. And, and there is value in following rules. Like we always, you know, like there's all this stuff about breaking rules and all the, you know, breaking rules, but, but sometimes it's, you, you break the rules when you know the rules. Like if you just are breaking rules and you have no idea what's going on, you, you generally create chaos. But if, you know, if you have a rule, like we don't call customers, but you're talking to a customer and you know, right. you can solve this in five minutes. If you just pick up the phone and call them, pick up the phone and call them, break that rule. Yeah. But, right. but, but do that deliberately. Don't just call all your customers. Well, there's a stupid rule about calling customers. And I'm just going to call them all the time. Eh, that's probably not a great mm-hmm. idea either. So it's just like, balancing discipline, which is just having that execution. And again, initiative, we often think of initiative as only being good, but initiative can really create some problems in an organization. Because again, if you have five people all calling that customer at the same time, that customer is going to have a terrible experience um, and it's not going to lead to good outcomes. So I think that's a big thing is just really seeing this, really being able to recognize like this, this interplay between initiative and discipline and how these team, how these things work together, because we have very similar challenges in the military where there are times when you want everything very closely synchronized and everyone working together very, very closely. But then there are times where you want people to have the freedom to go gain a new understanding of the situation without top down control. And you have to balance those things. Um, So I think it's just, and then I think that all connects to the big lesson that I've learned which is just understanding organizations. Like I think I have a, a, a deep understanding of how organizations function and work because mm-hmm. in the military we're, we're, we're a very organizationally focused organization. And mm-hmm. so the way I see the world is the very first thing I do whenever I go into any company, startup, mm-hmm. any organization is how is it structured? Because typically the structure will tell you the story of why people are doing things the way they're doing. So mm-hmm. And being able to understand and analyze that is really quickly is, is very helpful because again, you can take the personalities out of it. Personalities will drive some things, but typically it's the top personality that drives things, not all the sub personalities. The sub personalities are typically driven by the structure of the organization and the incentives it creates. Because again, the, the, the organization will create incentives depending on how it's designed. Um, and so just again, being able to read that thing really quickly, I, that's been, like really, really good because I can just evaluate things pretty quickly. I can predict things reasonably accurately um, and then try to change futures. Mm, I love that. Wow. So many incredible lessons there. Uh, you know, uh, people can like, you know, literally can take notes. I, I was taking notes. <laughs> uh, so you're building one study. So talk to me about yes. it. Like, you know, how excited are you? You know, what are you building? You know, talk to me about the, the product. Uh, where is it right now? And I think you recently launched a website. Congrats on that. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about it. Like, you yeah. know, where, where are you taking it in 2024, uh, the future and all? 
Yeah. So uh, One Study is a, a company that's co-founded by myself and obviously my co-founder. Um, our origin story is that my co-founder was struggling with getting product feedback from his customers and so built this AI-driven tool that would have conversations with his customers to basically interview them about their experiences with his product. And so he showed this to me and we agreed like this would be a great idea for just a product that could help people talk to their customers, talk to their communities, understand what experiences they're having. So I deliberately avoid the word interview because as soon as I say interview, people think HR and they think job interviews and all that stuff. And that is actually the one area we're not super interested in. Um, but we're very interested in qualitative research. So how can we talk to communities and people at scale and then bring all that data in and then evaluate that data and then provide decision makers like a really quick way of understanding what's going on. So if mm. I have a lot of customers who, you know, the, the example we always use is coffee. That's one of our examples on our website. Um, you know, if someone, if I have a bunch of coffee drinkers, I can basically interview them at scale. I can get a bunch of qualitative feedback overnight, like with the punch of a button, I can get a bunch of qualitative feedback from them once they've completed the interviews, assess that, and then I can make decisions um, based on that. So that's what we're doing for 2024. Um, we're just continuing to build our, te our technology. Um, we're clearly using artificial intelligence for this. I haven't used that word deliberately until now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, things are moving so fast. Um, in in this space and i think we have done very well to to not race ahead quickly i again i think one of the big myths in the startup world is that you have to move super fast this first mover advantage i have yet to really see that play out in reality like all the big companies <laughs> that that you think of as like tech titans none of them were first movers so I think there's a lesson there. And again, uh, I, so we're not, and we don't, we're not putting ourselves under pressure to move really fast. And I think we, we have, we've made some good decisions here because open AI and some of the other AI vendors have made some changes that have affected some people who did move fast and really got out in front. And now they're making changes to technologies. And now we're having to rebuild things, rethink things. So we don't have a big investment out there. So I think 2024, is the year where we figure out exactly who we're going after. Um, and then we build kind of that technology that really, you know, yeah. kills that use case, goes in there and really crushes it. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. I, I checked your website. It was slick, super clean. I love the tabs. The journey is very well, you know, narrated. Oh, cool. Uh, cool. I'm glad to hear yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I love <laughs> it. We're definitely getting feedback on it. So I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. And rooting for you in 2020, you know, 2024. Uh, Kenzie, I have to tell you, this has been a blast. You know, I love the trajectory you painted. It's so well, well designed. And hopefully folks who are listening, you know, they make these decisions and they consider the points you mentioned about. Uh, picking, you know, pick and choose like what, you know, in their careers as, as support leaders. Uh, any, any last words of wisdom before we wrap up? Yeah, I, I think one last word of wisdom is around mentors. Um, and I think if, if you had to ask me like five or six years ago, I would have scoffed. I'd have been very skeptical about mentors, but I think mm -hmm. as a support uh, person, it's important to, as any, as anybody, right. As any individual contributor, it's important to, to identify 
some people that are maybe a year, two, five, 10, 15, 20 years ahead of you in their careers. Um, and just reach out to them and, and build a connection with them and check in with them every couple months and, and just share what you're up to and, and get a little feedback. And the advice I would offer on, on a mentor is, does this mentor listen to you or do they tell you stories? If they're telling you stories, mm. you may want to find some other mentor um, because you really want a mentor who's going to listen to your story and really think about what you're saying. And then, and again, maybe they don't even give you advice. Maybe they just ask you some questions that make you see things in a different way. Because really, I think that's what good mentors and coaches do is they force you to see the answers. They don't give them to you. There's a time and a place where I'll give advice and I'll tell someone that's a terrible idea. You should probably do this. <laughs> but more often than not, I want them to come to that conclusion. So I think I would just close up by saying, you know, if, if you're starting this journey, if you're in this journey, you know, find some people in the communities and don't be afraid to reach out to them. And I guess my last piece of advice and connected to this and just in general is let people tell you no, don't say no for other people. Because I think I've had a lot of people tell me later, like, oh, I didn't reach out to you because I thought you were too busy. I'm like, I can manage my calendar. Like, I have no problem telling you no. Like, <laughs> put put time on my calendar. It's open for a reason. And I think most people want to help, but most people say no for the other person. Um, let that person tell you no, you know, and, and then, and then take it from there. But, um, don't say no for that other person. Don't assume just because someone's busy that they don't, they're, they're unwilling or unable to make time for you. Chances are, if they're busy, they can make time for you because they're successful and busy, successful, busy people are generally the easiest people to talk to because they will make time because they know how to be successful and busy at the same time. And those are the people you want in your life. So yeah, find a mentor, find, find a couple mentors um, to talk to about different stages in your career and make sure that they're listeners, you know, not, yeah. not storytellers. I love, uh, I think that that last tip you just dropped is, you know, will apply generally, you know, in life, right? Like don't assume yeah. no. Let others yeah, exactly. <laughs> come to you or face and say no. I think that's, you know, super important yeah. because, you know, a lot many people don't take you, don't even take chances because they assume you know, okay, you know, why even try? Because the other people will eventually say no. But I think an exact no is, is, is no. <laughs> yeah, Anything no, exactly. Else? If they say no, like, no. Or if they don't answer, if they don't answer you, that's probably a no. And they don't want to say no to you. Sure. Take that for what it is, but force yeah. them to do one of those things. Yeah. I love that. Kinsey, man, what a, what a pleasure to talk to you. In that was fun, Sharad. You know, uh, <laughs> here on the podcast. I loved this episode. Hopefully, like I said, you know, people, you know, uh, take one or two takeaways with them and that's it. You know, I have, I have, I've taken notes, you know, we're excited to ship this episode probably like, you know, in the next two weeks, if I'm not wrong. Uh, okay. And stay tuned yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah. I have, I have amazing guests lined up like Kinsey joining the podcast and, you know, uh, sharing. That's just fun. With them. Yeah. We yeah. had Hillary. No, thank you. Appreciate you inviting me and giving me an opportunity to to tell a few stories as I was just saying people shouldn't but you know in this context it's a little different but it was great <laughs> to meet you in uh you know in Oakland as well and uh I really you know I've, I've really enjoyed working with Promote and we had a we had a really good time in Las Vegas kind of hanging out and again you and me getting to, to meet so I, I know we'll do this again maybe yeah, I'll invite you to our podcast <laughs> for sure for <laughs> all right sure. brother all right cheers guys. have a good one Stay bye tight.